welcome to Crime on Prime Time. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends. It's A-Rod. And Malik. All right, we're continuing this recording extravaganza, take two of the extraordinary we got ex- recording extravaganza to to try to try to keep up but i feel confident this time that we can do it i don't have a trip planned or anything happening do y'all have anything happening not till like mid-february okay yep same or yeah yeah um yeah this is our hibernation period where Dalton and I basically don't do anything and we just hang out in the house because it's cold. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Hey, Ken, what was the, uh, what was the uh, episode of the week this week? Tell us. Can, can I get a little bit more energy before we start this? Well, it was an awkward phase right there, so I was trying to help us transition. I need some energy from the audience. What's up, y'all? How y'all doing today? You know, it's the roof. Yeah. <laughs> you know what it is. Look, look, y'all. I know y'all listened to last week's podcast. It was pretty good. I last week was my first week back, but I'm here to bring energy. Like I said last week. I <laughs> we we recording on a Friday night. All right, we're all off. We had a long week of work, but we here and we're ready to kick off the weekend. Can I get a, oh yeah. Without raising the roof, oh yeah. Oh Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Wow, thanks for that. That was great. Okay, with that, we can start with recapping the episode this week. Now, I know I have two people that are not fans of Criminal Minds here. Mm -mm, But let me speak for those that are fans of Criminal Minds. If you hear the Criminal Minds episode, The Company, you immediately know which episode it is. And it's well-renowned, well-regarded in the Criminal Minds community as a great episode. What did y'all think? It was, I it mean, was, it was it better was than the other one. ones. Yeah. yeah. Malik, I thought you liked Criminal Minds. Mm-mm, that's this, the one I didn't like. This no, one kept no, me no. on my toes. I could, we need a... Can someone rewind back to the uh the mad butcher of kingsbury run episode where malik said hey it's not that bad i didn't even know the next episode had started damn no i I need a replay i might even stitch that in there just for you to go back and listen to the recording and hear yourself say it telling the truth malik don't do that hey you better say yeah you better be telling the truth i'll I'll just go ahead and throw this in there i may or may not be i don't remember well this was a good episode it kept me on my toes it is a good episode even i mean shit even in the group message taylor when i was like hey guys remember we're watching the company she even knew which one we were talking about and you know what go ahead fans comment down below whatever you're watching it on let's try to get taylor to show up one of these weeks i know she's quite busy so let's try to get her as a special guest let's get t-ho back as a, as a special guest, it has to either be a Criminal Minds or SVU episode. It's the only way we're going to get her to do this again. So next Criminal Minds episode, we'll make it our mission. 
Speech, speaking of criminal minds, Kent, tell us about this uh this episode this week. Okay, we watched Criminal Minds season seven, episode twenty, The Company. All right, so first we need to do a little recappy cap for those of you that don't watch Criminal Minds. So there was once a Criminal Minds episode about some guy in the ocean, you know, dumping bodies out there, and is she changing? Ah, hey, the swimsuit. Hey, believe you might do it. You might. Nah. And he said, "Is she changing?" I was like, nah, it's a, it's a swimsuit. Man, at least, at least, at least black your screen, Malik, so we can't see it. It's her lifeguard outfit, see? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, JC, I didn't mean to call you out. Nah, it's y'all just, freaks. It's nah, just y'all freaks. She said, oh. Yeah, it's not that kind of podcast, Malik. Sorry. Yeah, that's a late night one. But let's get <laughs> back to the episode. Okay, so what we got from the recap was that Morgan's cousin fled a stalker and went missing. But in this previous episode, they found a bunch of unidentified remains. And the killer identified Morgan's cousin as one of the victims. And he told his aunt, yeah, that's your daughter. So that was the recap. Mm -hmm. Now let's start with the episode. It opens with Morgan's sister at a stoplight. And she looks, she's just, you know, talking on the phone. And then she looks over and she looks and she's like, wait a second, Cindy. And the woman in the car next to her looks at her. The guy looks over and then speeds off the guy driving the car. Morgan's sister tries to follow this said car and she gets plowed from both sides trying to do so. That didn't sound good. Oh, yeah. That (laughs) I would say she gets hit from both sides. How would you like me to describe? You describe this car accident. I don't know, but hit and plowed, neither of those are good. You, someone describe this car accident. I can't do it with apparently being sexual. No, no, no. Just leave it. Leave it how it is. I just want you to know. You said it in a a sexual way. It's not that type of podcast, Kins. Well, Malik made it that type of podcast. You could have just, nah. you could have just said T-bone. But it was she got T-bone from both sides. No, you could have just huh? said that she got T-bone from both sides. I don't just, think that's better. Okay, just say she got hit by both sides on both sides. I did, and then Malik said plow. that was sexual. No, you said plow. <laughs> and then I said hit, and then that was it. No. So she drives, and she gets hit by a car on one side and then another car comes and hits her on the other side how's that yeah see when you throw car in there that makes it a lot better you just said she got hit on both sides i thought it, it was implied because she she's mm-hmm. in a car mm-hmm. it okay well it was an aggressive car accident was it not an aggressive plowing so plow means aggressive hit i did not use that <laughs> <laughs> it, but yes wouldn't you if if i mm, got us got to stutter plowed, <laughs> she's just getting plowed in the streets according to kids oh damn that's crazy where they where, gotta, where's this where's this uh episode where's this show take place um well this uh this show 
travels all over, but this specific episode takes place in Chicago. That is oh, where Chicago. Morgan is from. Oh, so, so yeah. So you saying I gotta go to Chicago to plow on the streets? All right. Yeah, Chicago is where you get plowed in the streets. All right. So oh, well, I don't. I don't want to go. Oh, okay, never mind. Let's keep it going. Let's go. <laughs> That's crazy. Let's just move along. <laughs> this is like uh, we're filming. We're filming at night, so you know it gets a little. You know what happens at night. Nah, the whiskey starting to flow through me. <laughs> Either way, so T Bone, she got hit. She, she was in this horrific car accident. It looked bad, man. It did not look good. So Derek's at the hospital um, with his sister, and she tells him that she saw, you know, the cousin. And he's like, "No, she's dead." You sometimes we just make things up. And she's like, "No, I know she's alive." She mouths something at me. She mouths, "I'm sorry." And then Derek's like, oh shit, she might be alive. And that is when we learn that Derek calls up Hodge. And that's when we learn that Derek lied to his family when he said that she was identified as one of the victims of the other serial killer. He did that because he wanted them to have peace and come, because he, after eight years, you're like, yeah, she's probably dead. So why not? We're probably never going to find her. And, and now she's alive. So That's why that's, you should always tell the truth, kids. That's fun. Any I mean, truth? I get why he did it. Because, like, after eight years, you're like... Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I would give up after a couple of days. But that's just me. Really? Oh, sorry, kids. If it's you, I'm giving up after a couple hours. Dang, A-Rod. We've already discussed this. If Ken's yeah. goes missing in Colorado, we're not coming. Yeah. Wow. Thank <laughs> We'll post flyers around Texas. Maybe, I maybe won't even be here. missing in Texas. Maybe that's they brought what, you here. That's what they want us to think. <laughs> Fake friends. I need some new friends. <laughs> Okay, so then we go into like this history of the stalker. So Cindy had this coworker, John Hitchens. He was stalking her. No one could really do anything because there's this dumb rule in our society that you can't do anything about a stalker until they, you know, actually do something physical. So if you want someone to stop stop stalking you, you have we, to let them attack. Off you. topic, we actually have a situation like that at work, but you know, it will, I'll save for the story for a different day. Wait, I want to know this. So basically, we kicked the guy out, old guy. Let's just call him Old Man Rivers, <laughs> and he can't come in our aquatic center or activity center, so he just walks the sidewalks, right? And he. Once in a while, peeps through like the gym windows and all that to see who's all in there. Makes students uncomfortable, this and that. Well, we haven't really called the cops until today, actually, when he started taking pictures of people in the gym. So, yep. So, yeah, they were like, yeah, if he's just looking through the mirrors, windows, we really can't do much because he hasn't broke the property line. But 
now since he's potentially taking pictures, then we gotta make another whatchamacallit. Uh, another report. So yeah. But back to the stalker. Okay, so she had this stalker at work, this co-worker. Uh, so Morgan was like, if no one's going to do anything, then you just you need to move. Just just get away. So she decides she's going to go down to, like, Charleston or something. She calls on her way, checks in, but then, like, after that, no one has heard from her. Um, a few weeks later, this was, like, all eight years prior, eight years ago from this episode. So, a few weeks after, like, they hadn't heard from her, the police found John Hitchens with a bullet hole in his head, and they ruled it a suicide, and they assumed that since he killed himself, he probably killed Cindy, too. But, like, they never found her. So, that's that's that stalker story. So after we get this whole background from Morgan, JJ and Rossi go to the gun shop who conveniently has paperwork from eight years ago just right there behind him. And just pulls out a binder that doesn't even look that big for a binder that should maybe have purchases from eight years ago. My thing was... Why do you keep all those financial records right there in visible sight? That's what I'm saying. Behind the thing. Like, come on, guy. You don't have an office or anything? But that was my... No, that's what I'm saying. Was like, there's no way this guy has paperwork from eight years ago just like right there. And also the binder would be bigger. Uh, hopefully you have that many purchases in the last eight years. Yeah, I was like, that wasn't a lot of uh, business. That was that small binder. So he pulls out this purchase order or whatever, and they're like, for John Hitchens, right? And he's like, no, it's for Malcolm Ford. Who's John Hitchens? And they're like, who's Malcolm Ford? What a, what a strong name, man. Malcolm Ford. Malcolm Ford. It is a powerful name. What a strong name. That sounds like the name of a man that's going to do something someday. Malcolm did do something. And then so, did Ford Ford. Did something. so did Ford. Yeah. <laughs> that's a strong. I'm going to name my kid Malcolm Ford. <laughs> you got to. Like a like a um, first and middle name, Malcolm Ford Jones. You yeah, got to chop the Jones. That's, that's strong. No, oh. no, no. It cuts to. So after they go to the gun shop and they're like, who's Malcolm Ford? It cuts to. A scene of Cindy with this guy, and they're, you know, packing up everything in the house. They're like, we gotta go, we gotta go. And he hands her a gun and goes, you need to put that in the glove box of the car. So she does. She sees her neighbor. She waves. He's like, going somewhere for the weekend. She's like, the cabin. Uh, And then it cuts away, and it cuts back to the team, where they discovered that Ford was actually the real stalker. Cindy had two stalkers. That's insane. And I can't even get one. Crazy. (laughs) It'd be like that sometimes, A-Rod. Ford's the real stalker here, okay? And he apparently did not like competition of another stalker. So... 
he took that stalker out and then framed him for for uh cindy's disappearance wild wild stuff having two talk stalkers you're just not safe any anywhere okay so cindy with that couple yeah yeah and and she looks at malcolm malcolm's like you have permission and then she speaks and that's like a real first like glimpse at what this relationship is like what's going on here and this is also when cindy learns that they're fleeing to canada and she's not she's like what about the cabin we're like what is this cabin that she's so really wants to go to also then they take them inside and the other wife shows cindy to her room and they go down in the basement and and she's like you can stay in my room you can sleep on the bed and she flips on the lights and it's it's a sex dungeon they're freaks they are freaking freaks man i said is that a red room yeah are we watching 50 shades i don't think it's they're freaks i think this woman is enslaved and he tortures her in this chamber Looked like a sex swing to me. Yeah. It was a sex swing. Can't confirm it was a sex swing. But yes, it's a sex dungeon. That's where Cindy's sleeping for the night. Wild stuff. Did she lock- you- At first, I thought maybe I was tripping. I thought she locked herself in there with her. Did she? I really no, thought I think she that's did. what she, she did. She closed the she door. She might have. I might have been too busy writing. So when I was like, oh, they about to get freaky. Oh, so when she when she was downstairs, the white girl turns around and closes the door because they can't creepy. be in the house. That's so creepy. I was like, nah, y'all not down there getting freaky. And then it didn't ever come back to. You. I was like, oh, I'll know what they do on the criminal lines, but I'm not liking it. I don't, I, I don't think they were getting freaky. At the okay, so. It cuts back to the BAU. They're out the house. They, you know, busted in because they were like, Malcolm Ford's our guy. They busted into the house, but the papers were half burnt in the fireplace. They looked like they were gone, leaving, not even, not there. So they comb the house. What they find is a head box, which is a torture device. It's a box that looks like a clam and you put it on the person's head and you can shut their head into this box i also have a question about this scene did they even question the neighbor did they even ask the neighbor because if you, you question the neighbor? well remember in the first part back it up a little bit okay okay when i remember pa- the neighbor she waved at the him van, oh, the neighbor okay. is out and he's like oh like where are you going like going on a trip she's like, yeah we're going to the cabin and he had that suspicious look on him like he, he like, did okay. have a suspicious look can't but around. yet they never interviewed him so okay but how the- would how would the bau know that he has a suspicious look well you think when there's a house getting look you ask around the neighbors and ask about this malcolm ford guy and they probably did but this may- neighbor may not have said anything because he's a company man see i just don't understand man I don't know. It was it was weird. Maybe it's a plot hole. I don't know. But they didn't. Yeah, but they see, did find the head box. See, I'm always looking at the small things. <laughs> uh, so the head box, torture device, 
they find that and then reed comes in and goes this might explain what's going on here i'm i'm just gonna say it right now it was it was a slave contract sending this back yes so after they find the head box in the slave contract it cuts back to malcolm and the other guy they're sitting at this house and he's like it's disgusting he's like you've did really well i've never had one trained like that before he's like how'd you do it and malcolm was like i told her about the company and what the company would do to her if she disobeyed her and her family it's disgusting Um, and that's the first time we hear about the company. So then we learned that, so Derek goes to his aunt and was like, I need you to tell me, have you ever seen this man? And the aunt was like, yeah, he went to the church that me and Cindy, uh, used to attend, which is also disgusting that he preys on women at a church like this. And I hate it. Anyways. So they come out with the profile, and the profile is that Cindy has extreme Stockholm Syndrome. And then they explain the company, which is a made-up organization that men use to uh, manipulate women. But it's fake. It's, It's not real. This is the first time we're hearing that. But to Cindy, it's very real because he's told her about it. Then it cuts back to Malcolm abusing Cindy. They're like, pull up to this grocery store parking lot. They're supposed to meet someone there. Cindy's crying. He's like, stop it right now. She's like, yes, sir. She tries, then she chokes up. So he strangles her for disobeying and then tells her to go get him dinner. What does he strangle with her with? Was it the seatbelt? No, it, it was looked some... like the... I thought it was a seatbelt. Was it? it? Looked... I thought it was some white thing. I don't remember, but I was like, I was right. That? I was honestly, I was like, where did he grab that from all of a sudden? That's why he keeps strangle material on him. I mean, this guy probably. Okay, yeah. So she goes inside. Okay, so she goes inside to get him dinner. He's sitting in the car. The guy texts and says it's going to be 30 minutes. He decides to look for the gun, looks in the glove box. Gun's not there. He's like, oh, shit, Cindy has it. He goes in the grocery store, finds Cindy, and he's like, I know what you're about to do. Stop it right now. Takes the gun from her. They try to walk out. The alarms go off because she has Chef Boyardee in her purse. Do you think Chef Boyardee really makes the alarms, the sensors go off? I bet you could still watch it. When's the last time you had Chef Boyardee? I had it last week, and I mean, I think it's worth it. No, she means like, does it make the sense? What are you like, is it really that uh, like high enough? It's the principle, Kent. It's the principle. I'm just saying, like, uh, if you did it, okay, Aaron. Next time you decide to buy Chef Boy ID, I need you to run a little experiment for me. No, okay. Can you please try so, to steal it and then tell me if the sensors go off. Okay, no. I think it does, but this is why I think that. So where where I work at, um, we have like a gaming lounge, right? And I secured, I have like these little tags that are like this big. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have, they're, they're different than like barcodes, but I have to cut them to a certain link and I put them on all our stuff. 
and it's literally just a tag. So whether I like put stuff in a bag or whatever I put it in, when I walk across the sensor, if I'm going to take it somewhere, it goes off. So I feel like that's like the same thing as barcodes, which is, which is weird. I don't know how that works. I think they're magnetic. Mine are magnetic stripes. So I wonder if barcodes are the same. They're actually like magnetic strips, but I don't know. Maybe. A-Rod, there's only one way to find out. Look it just up. Grab some no, chef boy I need and you just to roll it out, You can even make it look like an accident. Take the chef boy ID, walk near the door, drop it, let it roll through the sensors. Oh my god, man. I need to go back to freaking school. I don't know how to spell magnetic. Are you oh you're looking it up? Mag. Help me no, out. No, you need to look up. Med. Can you still Chef Boyardee without the sensors going off is what you need to look up. All right, first off, let me get off freaking Microsoft Bing. I don't know why it keeps taking me there. All right, can you still, oh, can you still Chef Boyardee without the throwing up without the sensors going off. if google gives you an answer then they're the goat of all search engines uh, i gotta look at reddit and all that i knew reddit would have it that was my guess Okay, so why A-Rod's looking at that? We'll just keep going. Mm-hmm. So the sensors go off. She, the Chef Boy ID in her purse. Malcolm gives it back. She's like, my wife just forgot or whatever. And the guy's like, I need to search your purse. And Malcolm's like, no. And he's like, no, I really need to. Malcolm's like, we'll pay for it. Whatever, they leave. Well, this alerted um, Derek, like, Garcia, who reported it and was like, a couple was spotted at this grocery store trying to steal Chef Boyardee. They are on it. Derek pulls over the vehicle with Malcolm in it, but Cindy is not in there. So he has Malcolm on his hands and knees um, with a gun to him. And he's like, tell me where she's at. What'd you do with her? And then he thinks about shooting her until Rossi's like, hey, you can't do that. You're a police officer. And he's like, you're right. Okay, I won't kill him. And that's how that scene happened. So then it cuts. Okay, so they take Malcolm back to the station. Derek's like, I'm coming. Rossi's like, oh, hell no. You just try to kill this man. You can't go anywhere near him. So Morgan stays behind to like process the scene. He's in the grocery store. Garcia calls him. Morgan's angry. He's like, I need to be at the station. Why am I not? Um interrogating him yada 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 and then garcia she's a queen she's like oh oh and she's like this is about you is it he's like it is about me and she's like oh don't ever do that again kids please (laughs) is that how you and dalton fight stop oh 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 Oh, by the way. 
so chooses ass out and then he chooses ass out calls him arrogant and needs to take his ego back and then she's like call me when your ego is down and hangs up the phone it was amazing i enjoyed that seen very much did you see have you found anything can we still chef boy rd so uh, i was reading something and it says if you put like aluminum foil over the um the barcode when you're trying to walk out apparently it doesn't it doesn't detect it okay so for all the listeners out there if you're trying to steal chef boy rd bring your aluminum foil and if you heard, if you said that you heard it from this podcast, we're going to deny everything. <laughs> well, yeah, completely, a hundred percent. Do not steal. But either way, uh, so, he's at the grocery store after getting chewed out. He hangs up, and he looks at the video. He sees that his cousin stole Chef Boyardee. He goes to the shelf. He's like, "Is this what she stole?" And they're like, "Yes." And he's like, "This is a message." she wanted to get caught uh because apparently chef boyardee was something from their childhood so she would know that morgan like would get the message that she did this on purpose yada 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 then it cuts back to the interrogation or room with malcolm and they're they're trying to come up with their interrogation strategy so they decide to send in JJ and Princess to women because obviously this man does not like women. Can't we all agree with that? Huh? I love women. This man, not you. Oh, I thought you said, can we all agree with that? I thought you meant Can we all agree, agree that this man hates women? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah he don't like women. But just want to let y'all know, me and Rodriguez, I love women. <laughs> <laughs> just put that on the record big women small women <laughs> light women dark women i like them all <laughs> but either way just keep going okay so they send in jj and prentice and they're you know doing their thing acting like malcolm doesn't even matter it's kind of awesome i love it and they do great it's an amazing interrogation also this guy is gross and what specifically made me say that was quote when he goes i'll tell you about it if you ask permission that's gross he one of those he liked the power he's a freak this isn't even like a freak this is disgusting and misogynistic and giving off alpha male energy Mm -mm. i hate it okay they decide that so they come out they're trying to think of what's their next strategy then morgan comes in the room and he's like i know i have no right to ask this but i want to interrogate him i know i can control him i can get this so they send morgan in so Morgan starts talking to him the whole time. He's like, what time is it? And Morgan's trying to tell him, uh, she's not under your control anymore. And he's like, yes, she, yes, she is. And he's like, no, cause this chef boy RD was a message. This is what we had in my childhood when we stayed with her and she's not under your control. Tell me where she is. He's grilling him. He's grilling him. And he's like, I know that she's changed because she had had love for me. 
And that's when Morgan got him. And he's like, had? He got him with the past tense. That's where they always get caught is when they start talking in the past tense. Watch your words out there, kids. So then Morgan's like, you killed her, right? You killed her. And he's like yelling. And he's like, I know you didn't because you only had 20 minutes from the time you left the store to now. Like you didn't have time. And he's yelling. And he's yelling the whole time. Malcolm's asking what time it is. And then Morgan finally comes to the a great line at the climax of this whole thing and goes, that's what time, wait, one minute. That's what time it is, bitch. Climax. <laughs> Not everything is the climax of the fight. It hit a breaking point. You could have said the peak of it. Anything, Which is also the considered climax? the climax. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm going to need y'all to get your minds out of the gutters. Nah. Yeah, whatever you say. So, plot twist. Morgan's yelling at Hodge. Why'd you take me out? I was going to get him. And Hodge was like, because he lawyered up. And Morgan's like, he didn't lawyer up. And then Cindy's like, I got him a lawyer. Plot twist. Cindy's at the police station now with a lawyer. On Malcolm's behalf. And Derek's like, why are you doing this? Like, this isn't you. You don't have to do this. And she's like, I'm doing it because I love him. Dun, dun, dun. It's crazy how far gone you have to be to be in the police station. I know she's got, like, spoiler I know she's got, like, yeah, she's got, you know, a reason to do it. But still, she's literally in the police station. And then still, like, I love Harpo. Doesn't cave. I'll beat him dead if he beats me. But, like, I mean, Malcolm, we'll talk about the site. We're going to get into the psychology of this. Oh, God. This episode. Okay. So, Malcolm claims Hitchens stole the gun. And he even filed a police report. So, there's really not much that they can do there to prove that he killed Hitchens. Malcolm leaves, so they're, like, trying to leave. They, like, make out in the police station to, like, make a point. And as they're leaving, Derek brings out his aunt. And Cindy's like, I can't talk to you. And Malcolm's like, no, it's okay. I trust you. And so Cindy goes and talks to her mom without Malcolm there. And, um, you know, not much was said other than, like, Cindy's mom pulled down the her like turtleneck or whatever and saw the strangulation marks on her neck and she's like he did that to you and she's like no he loves me and then like and then was like i need to go make him dinner and like turns around and leaves so when they get in the car malcolm tells cindy cindy she did a good job and gets to go to the cabin so now we're going to figure out what this whole cabin thing is about so the BAUs all sitting around going like, what just happened? They're like, this wasn't Stockholm Syndrome. Like, that's not Stockholm Syndrome. Something else is going on here. And that's when Derek deduces that Cindy and Malcolm have a child together because that's the only reason she would do this would be to protect a child. And because you're not making your husband Chef Boyardee. You're making your child Chef Boyardee. See, that point, when he starts talking about the Chef Boyardee and all that, I would have never thought about that. My mind was like, oh, she has a kid. I was like, maybe, the, maybe she was just trying to get something on the go and make some Chef Boyardee. I don't know. 
This is this is why you're not a profiler. True, I guess. But you can be if you continue to watch Criminal Minds. You will learn all of the tricks. I like my eight to five job. Uh, so that's when um, Morgan brings in the lawyer. He's talking to the lawyer. He's like, "How did Cindy get you so fast? If she hasn't really been out of the house in eight years." And he's like, you must be friends. Like, Malcolm must have told her to go straight to you. And he's like, yeah, me and Malcolm are friends. So what about it? And he's like, tell me about this mail order bride, huh? And he's like, what about it? And he's like, if I ask her about the company, what will she say? And then he's like, oh, shit. And he snitches so fast. So he snitches and tells him where this cabin is with all the children. The ABU SWAT shows up to the house. They find all the kids. Derek and Malcolm are fighting in the forest at night. Cindy comes out with a gun. And Morgan's like, you don't have to do this. Like, I can free you. And she's like, I know you can. Get up so I can shoot him. And he's like, oh, shit. So he gets up. And then he's like, yeah, don't shoot him. So she doesn't. But JJ and uh, Princess get to arrest him. And that's exciting. Yeah. But, you know, for how big Malcolm is and how much he beats on this woman, he didn't really put a bunch of a fight. He's a coward. That's why he, is a woman. He, he, he got one elbow to the face and fell down like a sack of taters. He is a coward, though. Try to run. Like, you think they're just going to let you run? <laughs> like, your big ass can't run that fast. <laughs> All right. And Cindy comes home, and that's how it ends. Yay! Happy episode. No one dies. He should have died. He... Which one? Malcolm. Oh. Well, who else? I thought he was talking about the the officer. Why should the officer die? What officer? Derek? It makes, it makes for great TV. Kids. Why should Derek die? I don't know. Switch it up. Derek doesn't <laughs> die. Alright. What if I told you that this episode was based on a true story? Wow, wow, flipping wow. way. Wow, <laughs> tell me more, tell me more. But it's gonna be crazy how similar these are, right? I imagine it's pretty similar because when I was watching the looking at the notes on the internet, one of the first things that popped up was 15 whoa, whoa, stories whoa, whoa, that whoa, relate whoa, whoa. to this episode. Whoa, 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 you looking at notes on the internet, my guy? Mm-hmm. I watched the episode and looked at the notes, it's, a, it's very helpful. <laughs> Nah, nah, I like to learn about this shit on the go. Oh. I didn't read the notes on the real story, just the notes on the, the episode. Mm-hmm. It's true. It does help for when I don't watch the episode, and then and then I could be like, Malik, where am I at? What happens next? You know what's also true, Malik? The story Ken's about to tell us. Hit us, Ken's. All right, so I'm going to tell you the story of Colleen Stan. AKA the girl in the box. What's in the box? Sorry, I had to say that. <laughs> it's that movie, um, Six Sense or something yeah. like that with Brad Pitt. Mm-hmm. What's in the box? All right. So here is Colleen Stan's story. 
20-year-old Colleen Stan was hitchhiking from Eugene, Oregon to Northern California for her friend's birthday in May of 1977. Colleen was an experienced hitchhiker and took many precautions when selecting a ride. On this particular day, May 19, 1977, Colleen had already turned down two rides that she deemed to be sketchy. But then a blue van pulled over and offered her a ride. Inside was 23-year-old Cameron Hooker, his wife, 19-year-old Janice, and their a few-month-old daughter. Colleen thought the young, happy family would be a safe choice and got in. But this ride went south real quick. Instead of driving where he had first said, Cameron pulled off on a remote road near a lake, where Janice proceeded to get out of the van with the baby and walk around. That's when Cameron turned around and held a knife to Colleen's throat and forced her head into a box that he built. The box was exactly like the one from the Criminal Minds episode. It opened like a clam and it weighed 20 pounds when sitting on Colleen's head. Cameron made Colleen lay down and continued to drive back to the family's house in Red Bluff, California. Once at the house, he walked Colleen down to the basement where he built a homemade BDSM dungeon, complete with different racks and ways to hang and bind participants willing or unwillingly. He stripped Colleen naked, replaced the box with a blindfold, and hung her by her wrist from the rafters and kicked the box from underneath her feet. Damn. Yeah. This is uh, a rough. This is just rough all the way around. Colleen yelled out in pain, and that's when Cameron started whipping her for the next 10 to 15 minutes. God damn. That's when he was whip somebody. When he was done, he put the box back underneath Colleen's feet, but left her hanging. Scared, Colleen peeked beneath the blindfold only to see Cameron and Janice having sex in front of her. I would cry but can't with janice being janice why what i don't even know if i'd be crying i'd be more confused than crying yeah i would be yeah but can you imagine being janice the his wife like you're just going along with that maybe she's into that she she likes a crowd oh this is disgusting she likes to perform Okay, after a long, terrifying day of torture, Cameron placed the box back on Colleen's head and then placed Colleen in a three-foot-wide by six-foot-long box and chained her wrists and ankles Mm -hmm. to the box. This would become Colleen's home for the next five months. It's weird people get off on stuff like that. And one, how small is she? If she, if she can fit in a three by six, and so I would fit in a three by six. Well, me personally, I don't think you've I'm been getting in some three by sixes lately. Well, I'm five. Foot. 
three. <laughs> I'm five foot three. And I'm definitely not three feet wide. <laughs> Over this time, Colleen remained constantly naked, gagged, bound, and was primarily left in the box, only allowed to come out once a day to eat, drink, and use the restroom, or whenever Cameron wanted to practice sadistic and advanced BDSM on her, including tying her to a rack by her ankles and wrists and whipping her electrocuting her, burning her, and drowning her in a tub of water until she couldn't breathe. That's crazy. I like how they labeled it as advanced. And so just torture. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I did that. I I said that advanced. I'm sure I got it from somewhere else. But yeah, this is torture. I mean, it's not. This isn't. If it was if consensual if it was consensual it would be considered advanced bdsm so you i was gonna say so you coined the term advanced bdsm because no, i've heard I, this before sounds made up no i mean there's stages to bdsm i mean there's what? light bdsm that is a term where, where are you getting this information from so now? what's so what falls into the each different category yeah like like I listen to a lot of podcasts so light, so, about like BDSM. Like, I mean, BDSM. I don't know if it comes into a lot of true crime stuff. So you went to it, huh? That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> My parents listen to this. <laughs> hey man, you brought it up. You seem to okay. know that there's levels. I never knew there was. Levels. I never knew. Light BDSM would be, I don't know, tie handcuffs. Let's That's say handcuffs. light. What do you, what else is BDSM, Aaron? I don't know, like bondage. I mean, I, don't know. I mean, nothing is just not BDSM. Hey man, I'm just saying, I don't know if you're into it or what, but you knew a lot more about it than I whatever it looks than I ever heard about. For someone I'm not who here to make fun of you. I'm just what? trying to learn more about yeah. this. This yeah, whole I'm just thing. trying to get educated. Okay, so light BDSM would be considered like handcuffs. Heavier, you know, that gets more into your painful sex type things, whipping, um, using these medieval torture devices that he has like a so rack like, so like that would be advanced and all that would maybe be considered on the lighter side i mean i'm talking about physical pain causing yeah. physical pain burning like there's whipping thing, and all that whipping there's a thing called knife play that's just your more advanced things they call it advanced because in this world you i don't know how to explain it's advanced because you need to know how to do it properly without actually truly hurting, hurting someone. Yeah, hurting yeah, for yeah. pleasure versus actually painfully hurting someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's considered advanced because it the, takes time and skill to learn at it. Yeah, how to get a pleasure response from it and not just yeah, pain. Yeah. Now yeah, what Cameron's doing is torture and it's not consensual. What I was talking about would be consensual sexual advanced bdsm here's another thing i mean all of this is bad right the torture all of it is just 
But can you imagine constantly being naked for five months? Like that is a psychological torture in of itself to never have any sort of privacy in any form or fashion. You know what? It's a little TMI. I don't even like being naked in my own apartment. Why is that TMI? This might be TMI. I love being butt naked in my That's TMI. You just (laughs) But A-Rod can say his, but I can't say mine. A-Rod's saying that he just doesn't like to get naked. Oh, all right. Y'all don't like being naked. There's a difference. little little TMI. I go to bed, yeah. I go to bed butt Uh, naked, but... Do you sleep naked? Yeah. Hell yeah. You don't you don't sleep oh you know what we're not gonna get into it. Man, I'm just gonna say if you have it, you need to start. It's weird in the beginning, because you're like, oh, it feels weird, but once you know, in a while, oh, I'm exposed. Yeah. But after a little bit, you'd be like, wait a minute, this is it. I like my pajamas. Nah, They're you, you know you, you think you like them. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't tried going all the way back to the baby years. In the womb, no covering. Okay. Cut that out. <laughs> so now, okay. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, calling, but naked for five months straight, constantly naked. Yeah, I don't know about for five months. No, 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 I couldn't do it. Not psycho, psycho. That's just psychological torture. All of Col- all Colleen was enduring. Wait, let me start that over. All Colleen was enduring started to break her. But what really broke her psychologically was Cameron's warnings of, quote, the company. This was an underground organization that Cameron was a part of that bought and sold female slaves. But more importantly, the company was always watching and waiting for a slave to try and escape. If they get caught, the slit would not only the company would not only punish them but torture but to, punish them by torture, but their family as well. In fact, Tamron told Colleen that the reason Janice had a brace on her knee was because she was a slave that tried to escape before the company caught her, and her knee injury was a result of that. In reality, Janice had just had knee surgery, but it was it was too late. Colleen was broken, and she believed every word about the company. And these stories terrified her more than anything Cameron had done to her. In January of 1978, seven months after Colleen had been kidnapped, Cameron presented to her an official slave contract where Colleen would be signing over her body, life, and soul to Cameron. At first, Colleen hesitated, but Cameron was quick to remind her that the company was waiting for the, for the official contract. So as she cried, Colleen signed the document, which also gave her the slave name of Kay. This contract slightly changed the way the hookers treated Colleen. She was now allowed upstairs to do chores around the house. She addressed Cameron as master or sir and Janice as ma'am. She was instructed to kneel and bow her head and she had to ask permission for anything and everything. 
But more importantly, Colleen now wore a collar as a symbol of her enslavement. Y'all ever seen someone walking around with a collar? No. That should throw you off. Have you? Yeah. yeah. Did you ask if they were in the same place? Do you want to, like, tell us? No, it's it's like a thing. Yeah, I mean, some people wear collars, like, as fashion statements. And then someone wears, like, what's that called? It's part of your, like, BDSM thing, Ken's. Oh, yeah. They use a collar in BDSM. Yeah, where they, like, they, walk around they have with like, it on. Yeah, they have, like, a pole thing on it. Yeah. It shows that they, like, belong to someone. Yeah. Then that February, Cameron raped Colleen for the first time. He hadn't had sex. I'm not even going to say sex. He hadn't raped her yet. Just tortured her. Sick puppy. You see, obviously Cameron had been into heavy and dark masochism and bondage play for a while. So when he met Janice when she was very young, she was a willing participant. Some might even say his first victim. I mean, she was young. So she... I don't know how to feel about Janice's involvement in all of this. Some say she's a victim through this all because if he didn't do it to Colleen, he would do it to her. I mean, that she was saying yes because she was scared. She was very young when they started. I feel like, like, all based off all the other shows we watch and all that. She's not going to get criminalized with anything because she was in the fear for her life. So she is. But can doing you it. prove that? Because she can say that, but. No, but can anyone she prove She was it, his wife. She had freedom. She could. I, I mean. But also, she worked up to that because she was. But she didn't start here. She didn't go through what Colleen did. He didn't torture That's, her. I guess, yeah. I think, I mean, this is pure speculation, but I think what happened with Janice wasn't that he tortured her. I think it was Janice being very young and saying, this guy loves me. I'm just going to do what he wants or what he says to make him happy. Yes, she was groomed. She wasn't tortured. I need to know if Janice had daddy issues. That's what I need to know. If she did, it makes completely sense. I don't know her history, her background. Uh, so, but after a while, so some say she's the first victim, but after a while, Janice no longer wanted to participate in the BDSM play and wanted to start a family instead. So the couple came to a compromise or agreement of some sorts. Cameron could keep a girl to unleash his wildest fantasies on, but could only have sex with Janice. So... That's my problem when people say she's the first victim. Would Cameron really respect her enough to be like, okay, if you don't want to do that, so I'm not going to do that? She sounds more like a suspect. Yeah, I mean, I get what they're saying if she was young. I don't know how young. I don't know young enough to be groomed. 
I don't know what her history is. I can see it going both ways. It would be an interesting trial. It's, uh, I don't know. I I just have, I have mixed emotions about Janice's involvement in all of this. Okay, so that was their plan. That was the compromise. You can practice BDSM on this, on some other woman, but you can't have sex with her. So that's, that's why he had not raped Colleen yet. Not because he didn't want to, but because his wife told him he couldn't. Interesting. And they were executing that plan on the faithful day. They picked up Colleen on the side of the road. They were actively looking for a girl to kidnap. That's what they were doing driving around. Back to February, though. Janice had allowed Cameron to... I'm going to say this, but it's not. Okay, Janice had allowed Cameron to have sex, quote on sex. It's not sex. It's rape. Colleen wasn't consenting with Colleen because she wanted to watch, thinking it would excite her. But it did the exact opposite. So Janice rescinded her approval of Cameron raping Colleen. Janice, she seemed kind of kind of freaky too. I don't. I think I think Janice is cool. cool fuck off, boss. I don't think Janice is freaky. I think that's the problem. I think her husband is really into this very dark style of BDSM sex that she is not into, but she's so willing to want to please him that yeah. she's trying to also. Because when did this case take place? 1970s. Late so 70s. yeah, during you know during that time, it was usually like like wives trying to please their husbands and all that as much as possible. Kind of. I mean, no, that's when you're getting to the hippie yeah. era, the free. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think that's what this is. I I think at the end of that, that's the problem is that Janice isn't a freak. Yeah. In April of 1978, the hookers moved to a mobile home. You might be thinking what this would mean for Colleen. Well, in this new mobile home, Cameron built a platform for the waterbed that he and Janice Janice would sleep in. This raised the waterbed so that underneath he could build a box for Colleen to live in, and thus she moved with the hookers. Disturbing enough to be kept in a box, but it's even more disturbing to be kept in a box underneath a waterbed with a woman giving birth on it. And that's exactly what happened in September of 1978. Janice gave birth to her and Cameron's second child while Colleen was under the bed. Skipping ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's... Skipping ahead to April of 1979, Janice got a night shift job, so she would leave when Cameron came home from work. During this time, he would let Colleen out to cook him dinner and clean the kitchen. You know, because she was his slave. Also, some evenings he would take Colleen outside and force her to dig a massive hole on the property. They then lined the hole with concrete blocks. 
This project took two years to complete, and one can only imagine what was going through Colleen's head during this. I don't even know. Oh. What was the point of that? We're going to find out, but when I was reading it, I assumed that the... Well, you can take it in a lot of ways. We'll find out what his plan was with it, but... I, I mean, if you're Colleen, you're imagining that you're digging your own grave, right? That's that's what I thought, and then you said put blocks in it. I don't... Yeah, that was the part that threw me when I was reading it. I was like, what, is, what do the kids call her? Like, Colleen? Do they... Like, they just see this random woman at the K. house. K is her slave name, so I'm sure that's what they... Yeah, but, like, what do they call her? Like, oh, she's, like, a friend, or... She's I'm like sure she's, like, a nanny. Well, we'll, I, we'll get into it. They're kind probably of. not really. K or something, and they don't They're associate just... with her. They've never got anything? Yeah. yeah. I also don't think the kids know that she lives in the house, like... Oh, probably not at that age yet, no. That she's kept in the house. They probably think she leaves at some point. Also, if you were wondering, we're in 1979, which is two years from when she was kidnapped. Just to keep the timeline going. But now we're jumping to 1980. So in June of 1980... Three years since Colleen was kidnapped, Gina switched to a day shift position, so Cameron would let Colleen out to watch the kids while he and Janice were at work. And instead of keeping her in the box at night, he would chain chain her to the toilet in the back bathroom. Now you may be thinking, why didn't she escape then, like when she was watching the children in no one's home? She was alone. But Colleen never thought she was alone. She believed wholeheartedly in the company and that they would come. Wait, wholeheartedly in the company that they could leave her. Oh, she believed wholeheartedly in the company that they could leave her alone. And she believed if she tried to escape, the company would get her and her family. I mean, that's how ingrained and broken she was that she could be left alone and she wouldn't escape. It also comes at no shock that Cameron just didn't stop raping Colleen because Janice forbade it. He raped Colleen twice a week from 1980 to 1981. Rape alone is horrific, but he would continue to use his homemade torture devices to do so. Oh my. Sometime in 1980, Colleen told Cameron she loved him in a desperate hope that he would then treat her better. It was the opposite, wasn't it? I don't think it was the opposite. I just don't think it had the it phased them. more of the same. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> effect of what she was hoping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It had been three years now since the hookers had kidnapped Colleen. Three years since she had last seen her family. She would often ask Cameron if she could go see her family, promising that she wouldn't say anything about the situation. Cameron had let Colleen speak to her family on the phone before, but he was always, like, right next to her. But in February of 1981, Cameron told Colleen they could visit her family if they got permission from the company and if she put up 
$30,000 as a security deposit, which would cover the company's cost of watching her while she was at her family's. But really, it would cost Colleen much more. About a week before the trip to her family in Riverside, Cameron told Colleen to tell the children and the neighbors that she was leaving and drove off with her. In reality, after he drove away, he had her hide in the truck and smuggled her back to the mobile home and put her back in the box under the bed. In another test of obedience, he told Colleen to put a gun in her mouth and pull the trigger. She did. Oh. The gun wasn't loaded. Colleen had proven she was completely under Cameron's control and thus could visit her family without Cameron fearing she would reveal the truth of her situation. It was was a test. I mean, that's just how... I don't... I say broken, but I don't even know how to describe this. I mean, it's... I'm at a loss. It's, I don't know, like how. It's I don't know something how to... that you can never like dis- describe. Yeah, but that's how psychological. How much he had tortured her mm. and broke. I mean, I don't know that she well, would like, put a gun in her mouth and pull the trigger because he told her to. Because at that point, personally, I the only thing I could think was like, I I would do it to send this nightmare. Yeah, I mean, maybe he's offering you Oh, get out a free Joe card. Yeah, you kind of wonder if she almost was like, um, like kind of relieved that he offered it to her. Yeah, it can just just be over. Yeah, maybe, maybe at that point. I don't, I don't know. That's just, that part just, that part of the story just really gets, I mean, it just shows. It's dark. It shows so much of what this, what she endured, how horrific the torture must be that you're willing to. Because she's been tortured for how long? Three years, four years? Four years now. Yeah. On the way to Colleen's family, Cameron pulled over at a building in Sacramento Sacramento, and told her that they were at the company headquarters. And before they went any further, she would need to pass their tests, which included a lie detector test. Cameron got out of the car, leaving Colleen there. When he came back, he informed her that the company had waived her lie detector test and they could continue to see her family. It's just wild to me how far this man could take this. This lie. This lie for four years. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you even think about, hey, I'm going to stop at some random ass building in Sacramento and say that's the headquarters? Some sick weirdo. Once at her family's house, she introduced Cameron as her boyfriend and spent time alone with some of her members, never some of her family members, never saying a word of the truth in fear that the company would kill her family. But her family could tell something was off. They had assumed Colleen had joined some sort of cult. 
but they didn't really want to say anything like they didn't want to press because they didn't want to spook her like they were afraid if they <clears throat> tried to like confront her about you know being a cold or what's going on you seem off that she would just like cut off all communication with them completely like, they didn't want that to happen and like i want to know sorry kids no go ahead i want to know what did they think she was this whole time in a cult they thought she was in a cult because she was kind of calling i mean cameron let her make calls yeah. here and there to them and they kind of had just assumed she was in a cult hmm. but i wonder if they ever like you know what i could see her being a cult because there's some people like no that wouldn't be like colleen or something like that well, they, they were saying, like, she she was acting funny. She wasn't really answering any questions about, like, her personal life. And she had no money. So, to them... And I'm kind of curious what the timeline is with the Manson murders. I was going to say, isn't this, like, the time when, like, cults started to... To really, really start to become a thing? Yeah. Especially in California. So, I'm wondering if it was, like, also on their mind. And they're like... Our daughter's acting really funny. Is this her situation? And I get them saying not pressing uh, because they were too afraid to lose communication completely. Because how do you go about having that conversation? I mean, that's a tough conversation to have. And you're just so scared to say the wrong thing. And while at her parents, they took a photograph of the couple where both Colleen and Cameron appear to be happy. And you can like find this photo on the internet and about to look it up. It's it's just so morbid to see it, knowing what's in hindsight, knowing what's happening or what happened. As soon as the pair got home from the Riverside visit, Cameron raped Colleen and placed her back in the box and her freedom was there on, from there on was restricted to a small amount of time at night because the children were unaware that Colleen was back in the house. In 1982, Cameron found Jesus and would make Janice read the Bible to him at night. Specifically, the passages that said wives and slaves must be obedient, making Janice feel that if she disobeyed Cameron, she would go to hell. He also confided in Janice that he had continued to rape Colleen. In 1983, Cameron told Janice of his new plan. He would build dungeons and keep four more slaves. He's really just going all in. All these revelations started weighing, bothering, and upsetting Janice. Now they're starting to upset her. A little late. Okay, again, I'm not trying to defend Janice. I don't know enough of the psychology or her situation with Cameron in the beginning to know. The only thing I know is she was very young. Very young as in he groomed her. Very young as just insusceptible of trying to please a man. So keep him happy because you love him. You think you love him. 
I'm wondering if Janice was never really okay with this, but did it to make her husband. Like, she probably did one. She was okay, one's fine. You know, let my husband feel pleased and all that. But four? Like, oh, no, this man got a problem. But I'm wondering if she even thought that one was okay. Because she didn't want Cameron. She wasn't okay with him raping Colleen. She wanted to only have sex. So I'm wondering if she... If she was really okay with it, or if she was like, hey, at least he's not torturing me. Yeah, I see that. I just don't know. I also hate him using the Bible, because Janice had kind of started getting into church. So then Cameron was like, okay, well, read me the Bible, but then use the Bible essentially to manipulate janice to see like hey the bible says you're gonna go to hell so i'm wondering if he was like if that was just his way of essentially manip janice knew the company wasn't real was this his way of manipulating her using i just is this man really that smart Seems like again, this man has a he can he's good on the fly. He seems disgust. He's just so disgust. Like I just don't want to give him an. Inc- I want him to be an idiot. And so much other bad words. But at this moment in 1983, this is six years since Colleen had been kidnapped. Janice is now starting to show a little. Little signs of fatigue, of of anxiety, of, hey, wait a second. Maybe um, some hesitation, some second thoughts. In the same year, Cameron put Colleen in the hole that he had dug on the property. So there you go. Those were going to be his dungeons, Malik. Uh However, after a week, it started to rain and the hole started filling up with water. So Janice pulled Colleen out and put her back in the box under the bed after a few more weeks cameron attempted to put colleen back in the hole but again after another week she went back in the box because the hookers feared one of their children had seen colleen in the hole i mean it was bound to happen that their kids found them underneath the bed in the hole somewhere did they make Colleen take the bricks back out of the holes? Because I thought he filled them with bricks. He didn't fill. He aligned the hole with oh. it. Uh. Yeah. Like a dungeon. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. In May of 1984, the hookers were in desperate need of money. So they they decided that Colleen was, in, was still in so much fear of the company they could let her out of the house to work a job and bring in money. So that spring, she started working as a maid at the King King's Lodge Hotel. When she brought home a paycheck, paycheck, she would give it over to Cameron, who let her keep $20 of each check. By that July, Cameron had convinced Janice to have sex with him while he sexually assaulted Colleen by fondling her. He told Janice that Colleen was just a a slave wife like Hagar was to Abraham in the Bible. Janice hated it. 
but she was afraid to to say no in fear of going to hell. Colleen hated it and was already in hell, but was afraid to say no in fear for her life. He's, he's got quite some control. He's like God. He's playing God. And he's already relating him. Yeah. I mean, he's gone to the point where he's relating himself to like men in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I'm like Abraham. I that's what it this is like. It's just like Abraham in the Bible. That's who I am. That's disgusting. And he knows exactly how to manipulate these women. I mean, Janice, he just needs to tell her she's going to hell. And Colleen, she just he need, just needs to tell her the company is going to get you. She won't die. Yeah. I just, I just, I just feel like there's so much psychology things going on here. Like, I just don't understand how he can treat one woman one way and then he kind of treats Janice like a wife. Not a great wife, but... As an equal? She doesn't have to ask permission. Yeah. For things. She's not kept in a different room. They share a bed together. Like, what's the psychology, like, behind that? Yeah. The world may never know. Around the same time, Colleen started attending church with Janice. And Janice started to open up to the pastor about what had taken place in the household for the last seven years. Can you imagine being that Uh, pastor? I'm like, like, whoa, whoa, can you repeat that one more time? (laughs) I wonder if they were sitting in a confessional booth and he was like. uh... (laughs) Say that one more time for me. Even though it would. Like, even though I would be at a loss for words at this confession, the pastor advised Janice to let Colleen go, leave Cameron, and report all of this to the police. As he should. Yeah. He's like, lady, listen. I'm give you the easy answer. There's a lot going on. First Look, of all, I got one, you... I got one advice. Run, bitch, run! <laughs> but but you need to freak that other girl. Like, she needs to go home. Yeah. But Janice didn't immediately do this. I mean, of course, she wouldn't immediately do this. Once, she, some part of her has to be fearful of her husband. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. The last six years, she's watched him torture another woman. She's just praying to God every night. That's not her. She's not next. So even though the pastor's telling her to do this, I can only imagine that's not, it's not as easy as it sounds, right? When you, you get down to it, that, that would be a hard thing to do. She sat on it and sat on it. And it ate at her and ate at her. Until August 9th, she just couldn't take it anymore. She basically had like a nervous breakdown. She dropped Colleen off at work and went to the pastor, who again told her that both her and Colleen needed to get away from Cameron. 
So Janice returned to the hotel and told Colleen the truth. After seven long years of living in constant fear, losing her life, Colleen found out the company was not real. She was devastated. Um, just imagine being Colleen and being told the company that you've been fearful for the past, what, six, seven, seven years? Seven years. Is not rare that everything you everything you went through because they said they were gonna kill your family is not real. Oh bullshit! That yeah. you had all of this op opportunity to leave, and you know and she you probably thought it. about it too. She was probably like, "I could leave right now," and then she didn't. She told herself, "But I can't because they'll kill my family." Yeah, and just the psychological trauma of leaving a lie for seven years. Yeah. All the time she could have left or told someone she did all the, or told someone about her situation. She didn't, she did it in fear of the company's retribution on her and her family. And it was all just a lie. The women returned to the mobile home that night and slept there. Neither told Cameron about the day's revelations or their plans for the next. On August 10th, after Cameron left work, Janice and Colleen packed the kids into the car and left to Janice's parents' house. There, Colleen called her parents and told them she wanted to come home. And they wired her money for a bus fare. At the bus stop, Colleen called Cameron and told him she was leaving him and he couldn't stop her. After seven years of being held as a slave, tortured both mentally and physically, and being repeatedly raped, Colleen was back with her family. I wonder if he ever tried to go after Colleen. He didn't. That's crazy. Because he was probably like, oh, I can just go get someone else. Probably. I mean, it's not like probably he loved did. her. Yeah, true. He probably, he probably did go get like some other young girl, youngish girl. He didn't. Um, oh, did he die? No. Well, we'll get into it. Janice, however, uh, moved back in with Cameron after uh, only a week at her parents. Okay, but this let's. Is stupid. Okay. We'll go ahead. We say that. You know, it battered women, it takes them seven times to leave their abuser before they successfully do it. And it's easier, you know, to go back. And like I said, Janice met this man when she was really young. This is the only love she's ever known. I don't know. How do y'all feel about Janice? I don't know. Man. I feel like what I want to know what happened when she went home for a week. That just oh, we're gonna get into it. Okay, so this is well, so like uncomfortable to where she needed to go back. To well, that. she probably she was probably sitting there. She tried to probably, she probably tried for a couple of days, tried to survive without Cameron, and just realized like, like I can't I can't do what I'm doing without him. I feel like that's probably what she came like. It would probably be easier for her kids to go back to him. 
than be a single parent. Yeah. yeah. I get going back to the norm, but not, that's not, that's not, that's a bad, bad, bad norm. That's not. Yeah. Good. But it's her norm. It's yeah. I mean, it is hers. Yeah. I just, I just don't know. Like, I get that she it's, was in it's a bad. Hard to understand. Yeah, I get that she was in a bad relationship. But on. We should have had a psychologist on this uh, episode. Because I really want to know majors. the psychology behind Cameron. That's kind of obvious. He's into sadomasochism and towards like. This is all sexual pleasure for him. I want to know the psychology behind Janice. Is she, was she always a victim? Did at some point she become a victim? Because I'm kind of on that. Does she have some responsibility here? I don't know. I don't know. Let's get okay, because this part is wild to me. So let's keep okay. So Janice goes back, right? Cameron promised to go to church with her and receive counseling. Together, they destroyed some of the bondage and sex paraphernalia, and Janice hid some of it from him. That's what like I don't get. This man does not respect women in any form. But kind of respects Janice enough to be like, yeah, I'll get count. Like, does he love her? Really? But this didn't help. Janice was too scared. Scared that Cameron would seek revenge on her for letting Colleen go. She stopped sleeping and eating. Her anxiety attacks were getting so bad. She moved out again for good at the end of September and felt at ease for the first time in a long time. Colleen would send letters and call both Janice and Cameron. Okay, this will get brought up during the trial. About continue how she continued contact. Like, was she really abused if she was still in contact with him? But then there's stock. That's what Stockholm syndrome is. Janice begged Colleen not to go to the police because, mind you. No one has called the police yet. They have not been contacted. She So she begged her not to call the police. She said that Cameron was trying to change, so Colleen should give him a chance to do so. Which is disgusting in and of itself, because that man deserves no chances for anything. At the beginning of November, Janice went back to the mobile home to see if Cameron had started to change by officially removing all the bondage paraphernalia, but he hadn't. She went back to the pastor about her concerns, and finally the pastor reported it all to the police. This pastor was probably like, this is, we're done. Yeah, he's, I'm fucking done. I'm <laughs> over this shit. <laughs> For the first time, the police had been contacted. Cameron Hooker was arrested and charged with one count kidnapping with use of a deadly weapon, three counts of false imprisonment, seven counts of forcible rape, two counts of abduction for illicit relations, and a single counts in single counts of 
forcible sodomy, forcible oral copulation, and penetrations with a foreign object. And of course, he pled not guilty. Before the trial even began, Cameron wanted to be able to bring Colleen to bring up Colleen's life before the kidnapping, including her prior prior sexual conduct, but the court denied this. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, because it doesn't matter how much consensual sex you had. You still tortured and hid all that. And kidnapped her and raped her. That wasn't consensual. Yeah. No matter how much sex you had, you have the right to say. I mean, no. When in his eyes, it was probably consensual all those other times. Because what else is she going to do? Try to fight him? I mean, she signed the slave contract and said that she would. Yeah. Then the trial starts. Of course, both Colleen and Janice testified. So Janice did not receive any charges because she testified against Cameron. And I'm Mm -hmm. convinced also because no one knows how to feel about this woman. No. And there was a very stark contrast between their testimonies. Colleen was flat and emotionless, and Janice had constant emotional outbursts. Other witnesses included the neighbors, the children, Colleen's sister, and the pastor. The children. Can you imagine how, like... Being, like, them just sitting there asking their children what they saw. That's such a fucked up childhood. Well, just to even have your dad have a slave... And torture devices. Like, do you know Kay? What does she do? Did you ever see her around like her parents or whatever? Did you ever notice anything suspicious? Yeah. Those poor children probably need therapy. Mm -hmm. The prosecution also called two experts, a physician and a psychologist. So I'm going to read this straight from the court transcripts because I can't have said it better because I'm not this smart. And I think it explains a lot of, like, what was really going on. The psychologist listed a number of factors that led him to conclude Colleen was coerced into remaining with Hooker and obeying him. He explained how Hooker's conduct, abducting Colleen suddenly, isolating her, removing her clothes, abusing her, removing her from daylight, controlling her food and water intake, controlling her urination and defecation, creating an atmosphere of total dependency, requiring her to ask permission for everything, threatening her family, threatening to sell her to another captor who might treat her even worse, torturing her, obtaining her signature on a slave contract, and establishing a new life pattern for Colleen, was an effective technique to coerce a victim into giving up an... giving up any overt resistance to the captor. He also explained that information about such techniques were available in bondage, discipline, and sadomasochism literature, which Hooker was familiar with. Finally, the psychologist suggested if it would, it would take one such as Colleen some time after return to a normal life before being able to confront and, and accuse her captor. And I th- he did on his time. And I think that's in reference to, like, the fact that she, like, wrote him and stuff. Like, it would take her time to really say, look what, you know, 
like, what you did to me and all that. Yeah. I, if I was, if that was my quote, I've been like, did I miss anything? Honestly, because it's that is that even the full list? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what? I feel like at some point, Colin, you would just forget about some of it, right? Like your brain would do that thing where it just blocks out. It had to be like some of it that she wasn't mentally. She just wasn't there. She wasn't thinking of anything. And he was just physically. She just didn't feel anything either. And she said after like she has said afterward in interviews that she just got good at making her mind go some other place. Yeah. Which you have to, because. Especially for seven years. Yeah, you got Seven to. years. Can you believe she was held captive for seven years and got mm. away? Because who I mean, knows? I mean, we've seen it in the TV shows where these guys, they get bored. And once they yeah. get bored, they. Just get rid of them. Yeah. And yep. Finally, the prosecution also presented 100 pieces of evidence, including the head box, photographs of Colleen and bondage, a copy of the slavery contract, the waterbed, and the box underneath it, and the stretcher. Good evidence. Then it was the defense's turn. Hooker, being the asshole he is, testified in his own, on his own behalf. He got up on the stand and said, yes, I kidnapped Colleen, kept her in a box, and engaged in bondage with her. But he said that Colleen consented to all the charged sex acts. They had, like, a list of specific sex acts that they were charging yeah. him with. I'm not mm -hmm. going into details on what those are. There's no need oh, to we do probably, that. There's probably, we know, what the, a good amount. And that Colleen could have left any time but chose to stay with him because she loved him. The other defense witnesses included Cameron's family, a neighbor, and they brought their own psychiatrist. Who basically said that Colleen could not have been under coercion the whole time because she wasn't held physically captive the whole time. Has anyone even brought up, like the company in this court case that's what i mean kind of the uh, the prosecution's um mm -hmm. psychologist i mean he was kind of hinting at that like that her family's life was threatened that her life was threatened yeah and, and so they he kind was... of were like yeah the i mean the slave contract was presented yeah but also, like, who's not going to sign that when you're like her? When you're coerced. When you're, yeah. like, your options are you sign it or you, what, die? You die. Yeah. 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 I don't like the psychiatrist. I don't know how, as a professional, you can come up on the stand and say she's lying or she's wrong yeah. or she wasn't really coerced because you have to be physically held captive to yeah. be coerced when it's been proven that's not true mm -hmm. but it was the 70s and 80s so he also said that it wasn't quote reasonable for colleen to believe in the company 
the heck? Which are basically, I think it's basically him calling her stupid. Yeah. And yeah, she's a victim. I just kind of hope this guy hurt the defense more than anything. Because mm-hmm. if I was a juror, I'd be like, this guy's a jackass. Yeah. His opinion was that Colleen stayed because she loved Cameron, which the defense brought in the letters and phone records from when she contacted Cameron after she escaped as evidence of this. But none of it mattered because, of course, Cameron was found guilty on all charges except for one of the seven counts of rape. The jury hung on this one, so it was dismissed. And go into more details. But for the others, in November of 1985, Cameron was sentenced to one to 25 years for the kidnapping with a consecutive term of five to seven years for use of a weapon, followed by 69 years for the other charges for a total of 104 years. Mm-hmm. And he deserved every single one of those. At that point, would you not just, uh, I would just say the word to life. I don't know what, I don't know court stuff. And also, wasn't the like, wasn't like the like election, like the electric chair still, like the death penalty, wasn't it still a thing back then in the 80s? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. Uh, but if it was, I would not be upset if this man was <laughs> yeah. there. He appealed, of course, because they never just go quietly. Yeah. He appealed, saying that the court could have, should have allowed evidence of Colleen's past before the hookers. The evidence was a letter that Colleen wrote in 1980 at the behest of Cameron. <clears throat> Cameron mm-hmm. told her to write this letter. The court denied this because A, it wasn't relevant. B, section 1103 of the evidence code prohibits this admission. And C, Colleen wrote it under coercion. Cameron yeah. basically said that ex- exclusion of this evidence prevented him from proving Colleen was consenting and that it would have discredited Colleen's testimony. He appealed on the grounds that the court sided with the prosecution. He also appealed on the grounds that the court sided with the prosecution when the judge asked the defense psychiatrist to explain some of the references he was making. So he would try to say some type of the torture was like being in the Marine Corps, and the judge was like, are you saying this is like being in the Marine Corps? Like all of this? Yeah. And so the defense wanted that to be deemed as like that's making it sound like the judges on the basically they're side. just trying to pull they're just trying to pull anything out of their ass right now yeah and these are horrible i think reasons to appeal like they're not even yeah. that good mm-hmm. and lastly he appealed on the grounds Ooh, wait and fine yeah finally that he appealed that the court should not have sentenced him consecutively he wanted to serve his terms concurrently what the fuck? No, sir. I'm like, my guy, be glad you're not dead yet. <laughs> this was all denied, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But there's one more relevant piece to the story we have to discuss before we come to an end. Allegedly, Colleen was not the first girl the hookers kidnapped. Oh, no. Janice confessed that her and Cameron kidnapped 19-year-old Marie... Elizabeth 
Svanky on January 31st, 1976 from Chico, California, while she was out shopping. When she never came home, her boyfriend reported her missing, but even the, through extensive search, the police never found her. According to Janice, Marie's fate was much like Colleen's. She got into their car after they offered her a ride and took her back to their house. Cameron placed the head box on her and tortured her. Just like Colleen, except this time he tried to sever her vocal cords. Oh. Cameron eventually shot her in the stomach with a pellet gun and strangled her and thus killing her. According to Janice, they took her body off a dirt road and buried her there, but the police were never able to corroborate the story, and that's why they're not charged with the murder of this girl. Mm, I was about to say, so you could definitely charge her with that. I didn't write this in here because I didn't, like, in the articles I was reading, I couldn't find it, but I... Mm-hmm. I think it said in the documentary, which I'll link, and then, like, My Favorite Murder did an episode has on this case, and I'm pretty sure they said it. I could be wrong, though, so take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Colleen, I think, at some point early on in her torture, saw a picture of another girl, like one that they took, mm-hmm. and didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. So the thought that there might be some truth behind this. Yeah. But who knows? Yeah. Colleen and Janice both changed their names, but remained living in California. Colleen, (laughs) while suffering chronic back and shoulder pain from being kept in a box for seven years, received extensive therapy, earned an accounting degree, married, and has a daughter. She's also part of an organization that helps abused women. And that is the story of the girl in the box. Damn. Imagine doing that, going through probably therapy for the rest of your life, finding another man that you could potentially trust, right? Mm-hmm. And having a kid. Imagine that whole 360. Yeah. I mean, fear that From man, the point you to have where... to be so patient with her. <clears throat> to a point to where couple years before she was told to put a gun in her mouth and pull the trigger i don't know how many years i mean there could have been significant years right like she yeah cameron was sentenced in 85 this was you know years later. yeah yeah so i mean it could have taken a long and i'm sure it did rightfully like it would it would take a long time it's not like yeah. after a year she got married i don't yeah. know how long but it wouldn't surprise me if it was a long time. Uh-huh. Seven years. Seven mm-hmm. years you're tortured. I think my body. I would have gave. I would have given up, up. A couple months. Probably a couple months. I would have given up. I mean, that's some resilience, strength, like mental strength. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness. It was a good story, Ken. It's good. dark. It is dark. I told you we were entering our dark series last week. But good story, good story. Back to back good weeks of dark stories. Um 
similarities and differences between this story and that. Oh, I think that is actually pretty pretty similar. Um, I mean the head just, box. The head box. Um, the company. Obviously, yeah, the company. I think the only thing that was different was them not being related to a police officer. Not having children. Not having a cabin. or eh, The cabin was kind of the RV, the mobile home. Yeah, but Colleen didn't have yeah. a child. Yeah, she didn't have a child. The grocery store. Yeah. But yeah. And the fact that in the real story, Cameron had a wife. And in Criminal Minds, he did not actually have. Yeah. So, it was just a little minor details. But for majority of it, it was pretty spot on. I still don't know how to feel about Janice. I'm torn. See, in the beginning, I was like, okay, I can see it because she's probably fearful for her life. But she was probably just doing whatever made her husband happy. And then towards the end, she probably, I I don't think she was fearful for her life towards the end. I think she was just more upset that he wasn't faithful to her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I I think it was a lot of things. Because I'm kind of the opposite. In the beginning, I think she was more of a willing participant. Mm-hmm. Not a victim. She was yeah. going along with it. She This was their compromise. Yeah. She had sex with him while Colleen was there. Yeah, especially with that story of that other person they stole or mm-hmm. kidnapped. Kidnapped. Yeah. But then I think by the end of it, she he did start manipulating her with the Bible stuff. She did start to be... I don't know how yeah. to feel about her. I'm torn. I am. She never got charged anything? No, because she testified case? against him. She got immunity. Uh, uh, I guess, yeah. It would be interesting to see what... I mean, Cameron's trial, if you ask me, is open and shut. This man did did it. Yeah, it don't matter. I think Janice once they found it. out, once they did to Colleen, it was game over. It was done. I mean, they bring out all those torture devices. There's no coming. Yeah. But Janice's yeah. trial would have been interesting to see. Mm-hmm. What a joy. Because could she possibly could have pleaded insanity? battered wife syndrome yeah i don't think they had that back then Mm. i don't think she could have pleaded insanity i think they would have gone for it would almost would have been battered wife without being battered wife you know because also like i could see her in the defense but well she saved her she saved colleen yeah she got her out of there he was telling her she was going to hell she believed yeah. it. It's the same but thing. Also, she's also part of the reason why Colleen was there in the first place. She had ample opportunities to say something before mm-hmm. seven years. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That, that would have been a case I would have been to, to like see. That would have been an interesting trial to... Mm-hmm. To see what other, like, what our other peers would think. And they would actually have to come to a conclusion. 
I really think you probably would have been like a stalemate. You think they would have hung? I would have probably. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, either that she only gets like a couple years in prison. Not like time. they won't. Yeah, but they won't send her as many as she did. They did with Cam. No, she wouldn't get have gotten as much, but it would be interesting to see. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. But it was a good story this week, Ken's. Good job. Thanks. Thank you. Thank yep, you. Yep, Are yep. you ready to guess what episode we're watching next week? Let's see. We did CSI last week. We did uh, Criminal Minds this week. Man, we haven't had a. What's the last? Y'all, we had. Y'all had Law and Order two weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. SVU. Is it an NCIS? No. I'll give you one more guess. Mm, Hawaii Five O. No. It's Dang, the original Law and Order. We haven't done one of these in a long time. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. The original Law and Order, just Law and Order, season ten, episode one. We're starting with the season, going with the season premiere. Mm-hmm. Season ten, episode one, gun show. Ooh, better see some pop, 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 pop. I think you will. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. I haven't watched it, but I think you will. <laughs> yep. All, All right. right. Well, this was a Friday. Night. I don't even. It, was know. A, it wasn't fun. I mean, it was a long, interesting one. Yeah. No, it was definitely interesting though. I'm going to spend the rest of my Friday night just mad. <laughs> I'm low-key probably just going to start looking up the whole court case and start digging into the more. Uh, <sighs> I don't know. It's frustrating. It's oh, dang. I hope next week doesn't piss me off as much as this one did. I'm telling you, we're still in the series of... I mean, we're going to be in this series of depression, depressing ones for oh, a while. great. It's going to piss me <laughs> off again. I'm sorry, it was a random number generator. <laughs> Jeez, oh boy. I mean, it's interesting, but god damn, man. I know, it's just... It's just so disgusting and frustrating, and you just don't want to believe that there's people like this in the world. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. But this on the bright side, Colleen did survive, so... Yeah, and I mean, she did end up with a happy life. So. Yes, so it it did end, and and there was justice. Cameron went to jail. I think the only thing we're struggling with is the fact that Janice got is, fucking scot free. So is that hell. justice? Like, was justice completely served? No. But all right, well. Yeah. With that, I'm your host, Kenzie Huseman. This is Crime on Prime Time. We are signing off. Deuces.